0: Welcome to the show where three friends rate, debate, and investigate the films you'll love to see and hate to see. This is You'll Love to See It. Love to see it. You'd Eric love to and Caleb. See how are you guys doing today?
1: You love to see it. Never better.
0: All right. Well, this is probably our last episode of the year. And decade. Last episode and century. Of the decade. If you're starting Wait, at
1: 1919. 19. <laughs> 19. 19.
2: Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> I guess 1920. No,
1: 1920. Yeah, we're going to start in 1920.
0: Yep, today we are going to be talking about movies from 1990. No, we're not. But today's episode- If you episode... have not
1: seen The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, that is Eric's favorite movie, and you should watch it. Is that it.
2: a real movie? What do you mean? I've never heard of that You movie. mean a classic of the German Expressionist movement? <laughs> I
0: I have never heard of that movie. You know movie. Nicolas Cage? I do know Nicolas he Cage. He
1: takes a lot of influence from German Expressionism.
2: He really does.
0: Wow, I did not know that. But um, all right. Well, today's episode we're going to be—it's a little history lesson. (laughs) I don't know much about history, so we're going to be talking today about
2: Nosferatu. No, we're not. (laughs) German (laughs) expressionist
0: episode. The 2010s. We're going to be talking about the decade in whole in cinema. Um, now we were thinking about a lot of different ways we could do this, and we were talking about doing our favorite movies of the decade. The Sorry, most... I've seen no movies from the 2010s. Yeah, me neither. that be hard. <laughs> we're talking about doing our you know, most defining movies of the decade, but ultimately what we decided is that a lot of our favorite movies of the decade are, well, some of our favorite movies of all time, and we've already spoken about many of them. So while today you're not going to hear anything about Interstellar, or La La Land, or before Inside midnight, before Lewin midnight. Davis before midnight, before or midnight. <laughs> anything like that, they yeah. will come up again in the future, and they might be mentioned here and there, but we just
2: figured We're gonna that... We're going to try to limit that.
1: Yeah. We will mention them only to say that we will not be mentioning
0: yeah. them. Those are... But know that those are some excellent films. Oh, I mean, absolutely. If you uh, mean...
2: follow us on Letterboxd, you'll, you'll see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, they are our favorite films of all time, and we will speak about them more in the future, and we already have, and we don't want to spend more time kind of repeating ourselves. So what we decided in the to do— the love
2: wants its justice.
0: <laughs> what we decided to do today is focus on movies that we just think deserve some appreciation in the 2010 decade. Um, you know, they're movies that not all are underrated or underappreciated. In fact, some of these movies are very highly rated— but we each chose three just, movies stuff we want to talk about. Yeah, three unique movies that we want to talk about that we, for some reason, either felt connected to in the 2010s or felt should be talked about because maybe they define it, or you know, maybe they were just a popular movie and uh, you know, it'd be cool to kind of discuss them. So we're going to be talking about each of us are going to be talking about three of our kind of notable films from the 2010s, and then each of us is going to name our Actor of the decade. Now, it's not necessarily, you know, we might all feel there is one person in particular, but we're each going to name a unique actor and actress that we believe kind of defines our 2010s. Or just uh, that, we really yeah, that we really yeah. like. Yeah, that we really like that. We think has made some great films actor of the and,
1: decade. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well,
0: whatever it means to you. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there there isn't obviously a right answer. And then we're going to end today's podcast each talking about one scene in particular from any 2010s movie wow. that we feel like just stuck with us, that we feel like it just we love. So, scene you know, of the decade. Obviously, we're going to, again, stay away from the movies we've already seen, but we already talked about. But <laughs> we're only talking about
2: <laughs> movies today that we have not seen. Well, so some, of these, up. some of these. <laughs>
0: I always talk about movies I haven't seen. Goodbye to language,
2: (laughs) best film of the 2010s.
0: (laughs) All right, well, I guess we should just get right into it. Um, I guess we'll just each kind of go down and spend some time talking about movies. Some of us let us leave. Let no, just let (laughs) us. Let us. I guess I will start um, with a movie, um, and we'll work our way down and work through the nine movies that uh, fits our 2010s appreciation episode. So I want to start off uh, today with a movie that I believe all three of us have seen. Uh, it is a movie that I would say is not underrated. It's very, very highly rated, in fact, um, and quite consistently shows up on some people's, you know, top lists of the decade. Um, and that is a movie by David Fincher that was made in the very beginning of two thousand and ten. So I, I heard the decade in 2010, so I think it's very appropriate to start with this movie since it kind of starts, you know, as one bookend to the decade. And that is a movie Fight by the Club. name of, it is not <laughs> Fight Club, it is a movie by the name The Social Network. Um, so obviously the movie, I feel like most people have seen it, but I guess I'll give a brief little description. But I, obviously this movie only needs one little description, that is a movie about Mark Zuckerberg the creator of Facebook, and one of the richest men. I think still the youngest. He was the youngest billionaire in history. I, I don't know if that was ever surpassed. Um, but, yeah, obviously. No econ we, on this podcast. <laughs> we we grew up with Facebook, and we grew up with kind of, you know, we were the first generation to, you know, feel the effects and really get into social media, and Facebook was the first one really for us. I know MySpace and was before but that was way before our time um but yeah social network is kind of a biography of mark zuckerberg now if you ask mark zuckerberg though i don't know how many of you guys have seen his response to the movie um he generally doesn't like this movie
2: well it's not a very good it's not a very flattering
0: (laughs) i would agree this film is not very flattering um it does paint mark zuckerberg who is played by jesse eisenberg casted very well um It does obviously play him as being a very intelligent guy, you know, but it does paint him as being, I guess the word I can look for is just a dick. Like he's, he's, he, as it it, it goes, it paints him as being, you know, just a real hard guy to work for. And he becomes, in some aspect, greedy. Um, Both of you have seen this movie, correct? I I know Eric has. Have you, Caleb? I
1: have. A uh, long time ago.
0: Yeah, it was obviously this movie came out almost ten years ago now. Um, this movie stars, you know, notably it stars Jesse Eisenberg uh, who plays Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Andrew Garfield who plays his, uh, I guess, co-founder Eduardo, uh, who's very. Oh, Eduardo. He's not really an. Antagon- oh, Eduardo. I'd honestly say the antagonist of this film is Mark, is Zucker- Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. The protagonist is probably not
2: that Eduardo really like <laughs> like really suffers cuz yeah, he's still like super a billionaire rich, but he
0: basically gets kind of cheated out of the company. Um Justin Timberlake is in this movie. He plays Sean Parker, who's another kind of co-founder but kind of He's like he was in. like one of the
2: first like I think he was like an investor. Yeah, he was one like, of when the he goes to big home.
0: investors. Um another other he's notable He's the Napster guy, right? Yeah, he was the Napster guy. Another notable uh Army Hammer is in this movie.
2: Playing two people.
0: He does play two people. Uh how how did they do that? Wait, who does he play? Who... He plays the he plays Winklevoss
2: the twins. twins.
0: How does he play both of them? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm actually serious. <laughs> I don't understand this. Can you
2: not play two people at once?
0: No, I'm I I I I did not know this.
1: You know that movie <laughs> where where Marlon Wands like plays everyone? Yeah. It's
0: like that. Okay. But from that's a filming aspect. Yeah, no, that, that's how they do it. Oh, okay.
2: He, it's called mitosis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a basic biological <laughs> process. <laughs> Anyways. What we're
1: trying to say is the it's technology exceeds our our grasp.
0: Another uh, notable uh, person in this movie is Rooney Mara uh, is in this movie. And yeah, so it is a pretty stacked cast in some aspect. But overall, it's obviously supposed to be. This was really one of the first biopics I can remember. And and I, I, I had uh, a. Not first, not first, but, like, one of the first ones I watched, I remember watching. I have to say, and I know we're not talking about anything that defines the 2010s, if I had to say something that defined the 2010 one genre, it would be damn biopics. Biopics were so popular, especially the last few years. There are so many biopics, and I honestly hate the trend. Like, there are some good biopics that have come out in the last few years, uh, notably one that we're not going to talk about but we will kind of mention um and
2: are you going to say bohemian rhapsody no 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 okay. i'm not gonna <laughs> i enjoyed <laughs> i enjoyed i enjoyed
0: bohemian rhapsody i i enjoyed bohemian rhapsody in the sense that rami malik did a fantastic job playing freddie mercury he didn't other deserve th- to win other than that not even close who was who else was nominated Little it, it, it's not about mm-hmm. who was nominated. To Eric, drop, who D- wasn't. No, do you I have it? an disagree. opinion I about disagree. who should have won Best Actor? I disagree. I disagree. I think Rami Malek should have won.
2: Who, who would you biggest have... <laughs> snub of Oscar Oscar leading actor history happened last year? Who with was Ethan Hawke in First Reformed.
0: No, I disagree. I don't think he you haven't won. even seen it. I I, I <laughs> disagree. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> I think yes. Rami Malek deserved it. I, First Reformed was last year. I didn't know that. Anyways, so Social Eric, do you Network. Like that movie? Um, <laughs> Eric loves that movie. I don't think Eric should be allowed to talk about that movie. I think we need to change. <laughs> yeah, that this right will now. be this will be the last episode. <laughs> Eric is allowed to talk yeah, about this first. The, this is the last time. Um, the Social Network is a is a great film. It really you really feel like you see this business build up. Um, there's other notable movies um, that are similar in the aspect of you know there's, <laughs> there's been several Steve Jobs movies. Um, I believe there was a Bill Gates movie that came out. Was there? I thought there was. Maybe I'm wrong. Like the wrong. Nathan
2: for you, Bill Gates in person? <laughs> <laughs> no, not that.
0: I remember there was a Steve Jobs movie, the Steve Jobs. There was the one with Ashton Kutcher, um, and then there was the, the other Michael one Fassbender. with Mac- Michael Fassbender, which um, was a little bit different because he didn't really show the building of the company. Well, that was
1: um, also the, the Sorkin one, the, the Fassbender, mm-hmm. who also wrote
0: Social Network. Who also did write – wait. Did he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. You know what? The reason I know that, actually, the reason I remember that. It's like or, one of the wrong, biggest things me. about the
2: social network is that Aaron Sorkin well, wrote it. Well, is because
0: he's very um, controversial in his writing because he wrote a TV show that I really enjoyed called The Newsroom that was on HBO for a while. Um, and he has very political uh, writing. Like, he is very uh, – I know a lot of people either really like or really dislike Aaron Sorkin's writing. Um, but the social network is very easy to see how Aaron Sorkin views Mark Zuckerberg. Um, and it very much paints Mark Zuckerberg as being someone who kind of he was very intelligent, mind you, but was easily swayed into becoming kind of this evil businessman. Um, I don't know if evil is the right word, but definitely a dominating kind of you know, get gets whatever he wants businessman. You know, we're gonna talk about scenes of the decade, um, and one of the ones that I'm not gonna mention, but I was just looking at, was the scene early in the film when he is getting broken up with by his then girlfriend at Harvard, um, and he is just saying these things like, "Oh, you know, don't worry, I, I'll I'll hook you up with people that you never would have met in, on your own." Like he's just, it's he's so cocky. He's, you know, he and then he's like, "Oh, why why are you breaking up with me? Like, oh, I'm such a good guy. You know, I'm I'm, I'm a nice man. I'm, I'm I'm doing you a favor." and it's very interesting to see how Mark Zuckerberg is painted in this film because obviously Mark Zuckerberg would severely disagree with all, a lot of the things that happen.
2: Yet at this point, at the end of the decade, he's sort of outdone himself. He's he's seen as even worse than the movie. Yeah, like the that's movie true. looks nice at this point. It's true. I mean there
0: is some <laughs> dam- Life imitates art, as I say. <laughs> there are some damning things in that movie. I know very early on when they make the um I think it's like hot or not. Maybe yeah. that's right. Yeah, is that it? They're making the uh, the rating system to for all the girls, I believe, at Harvard, or it, it spreads across the country to other colleges, and you know, there's obviously a debate whether or not that really is a bad thing, I guess, but it, it's definitely deme- a demeaning thing where it's just about rating. Breaking news: women. Mark
2: Zuckerberg sues Tinder over plagiarism. <laughs> 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 That's
0: before Mark Zuckerberg sues us for defamation. So, <laughs> before that.
2: Overall, it would though, be an honor for Mark Zuckerberg
0: <laughs> to sue us. Sue us in our 12 cents we own. Um and 0 dollars we've made off this podcast. Don't let him know, Zach. Yeah, he can sue us for this podcast. Like he can own this.
2: And then he could pay us.
0: And then he could. <laughs> we can even employ. Payroll. Us. But anyways, the social network. Um Eric, what do you think about the movie overall? You know, it, um, does, does it does it hold up over time? I don't
2: remember it too well. I probably should have rewatched it, but I remember enjoying it. I I've never been a huge, huge David Fincher fan. Um, I think his movies are good. They're very... They're just, they've they just never been anything too special for me. It's, it's good. And I do think the way... Like, the way that it's one of the first movies that really deals with social media is, like, an important aspect of this decade that I think the social network... Not only is like a pioneer of, but also is one of the best like examples of. So I, I do appreciate I do appreciate it in that sense.
1: <clears throat> it's been a while for me uh, if if I if my memory holds, I actually liked it less than I think it is and then how it is commonly perceived. Uh, but what it did for me, I think, was this was my first introduction to Sorkin. And uh, in his writing style, which is very different than mm-hmm. than most everything you see on screen. It's it's very quick and pithy and even kind of theatrical, uh, which I, I'm glad I was exposed to that early on because, uh, you know, ri- writing is is important to me. And uh, I, I'm glad I, I had that that viewpoint in my in my head so I could, you know. Borrow some stuff, or, or 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 just learn from it. So that's that's what it did for me, and I agree with Zach that this is probably the the decade of the biopic, and this this film really really launched that. So it will always have that significance uh, for it, as as the world moves forward.
0: Yeah, well, and and this movie came up at a very interesting time. You know, this was very much the burst of Facebook, and it came it was i i found it very not that oh, movies movies have always been political but i felt like of the decade it was the first movie to kick off the kind of like all right you know kind of here's what's happening you know the whole facebook thing and and stuff like that and it really what i enjoyed a lot about it is that it really had a lot to say about you know power uh privilege i guess a little bit and also there's this whole thing about Mark Zuckerberg being this underdog in the beginning where now we would view him as absolutely not and it makes you realize... The overdog, if you will. He's <laughs> the overdog. And it's interesting because it's like, was he ever really an underdog? He was this kind of, he, you know, he went to Harvard. He was by, you know, no means like this poor young, like, you know, kid who who couldn't afford anything. You know, he was kind of already in a point of privilege and everything like that. Um, notably, though, I like to talk about I don't know. Do you remember who Rooney Mar- Mara plays in this film?
2: You were literally just playing yeah, the scene with her. Yeah, yeah,
0: I was going to say that's that's she she plays the uh the ex. ex-girlfriend and I was just reading someone's review which notably if you look on Letterboxd, the top like 10 reviews are all five stars. Um Well, it and... it's one
2: of those movies that I don't know, I'm not as positive on but people really love this movie and that Rooney Mara scene at the beginning is like one of the iconic scenes of yeah, the decade. Yeah, people
0: love it because, or basically so people think. She's tearing him apart, saying like, you know, you know, good luck with your sad ass life and everything like that. But it's a it's a good film overall. And uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely recommend. All right, Eric Zhu, it is uh, your <clears throat> turn. Would you like to uh, talk about your one of your notable movies of the decade?
2: Um. Yeah, I decided to go at this in like three movies, three different ways. This first movie is probably a more well-known one. We, I already talked about it, so that's why I'm choosing it first. Um,
0: in the Mood for Love?
2: No, it's it's First Reformed. Thank <laughs> you. Um, this is directed... Who stars in that? 2018, directed by Paul Schrader. Let me get to it. And it stars Ethan Hawke, oh, who the, plays... Oh,
0: the runner-up uh, best actor. No, I heard he wasn't even nominated. Oh, he wasn't even... Wait, was he actually not nominated? Yeah, he was not nominated. That's pretty bad.
2: You haven't even seen it. <laughs>
0: But you back, should just it, see it, though, because it's, 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 it's... I will watch you know, it with you. Like,
2: undeniably, it's one of the best he, movies he, of the decade. He certainly
1: should have won, in, in my opinion, as well. It's, anyway. it's not
2: even close. It's not even close. Disagree. I disagree. <laughs> 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 All right, Eric, talk
0: about First Reform for us.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he plays Reverend Ernst Toller, and he is a pastor in one of the oldest churches in the United States, um, and he meets... This girl named Mary and his boyfriend, who is really, really struggling. Um, he is an eco-activist. like activist. Um, He is really concerned about the environment. And in like this weird spiritual way, he asks this. He's really worried about whether this is really the end of the world, this climate crisis, whether this is going to be the end of us. And... Essentially, it's Will God Forgive Us? And it's a movie about the silence of God as um, Ethan Hawke's character, after this conversation, really begins to question his fate in more and more disturbing ways. Um, It has a lot of influences. I mean, Silence of God, first thing you think of is Bergman. So there's a lot of winter light in here. It's got a lot of Schrader's, like, hallmark transcendentalism. Trans... Yes, I think that's what what it's called. <laughs> this is his style. Um, it's slow. It's philosophical, and it's like it feels like a classic, like philosophical sort of Bergman esque character study with this added modernity to it. That this entire thing is sort of about this indictment of capitalism and this indictment of climate change, and this like study of like opening up yourself personally to change. And this idea of the signs of God in a very modern context and a very religious context, which I'm not religious, but movies about faith are something that always call out to me. And it's incredibly special. It's incredibly good. One of the best.
0: I'm very excited to watch this movie with you. Um.
2: I dressed up as Ernst Toller for Halloween this year, filled, like complete with red lights oh, and like a little book. So that's did. how much I love
0: this movie. You did. You had the book of Holy Hammer, sure I believe. Uh, <laughs> a little bit different.
1: It was. It was. It was just a normal Bible. Um, yeah, that that was it's one of the best films of of last year. I believe I have it as my my number two from last
0: year. Um, what was your number one? 8th grade. grade. Great, film. Great film. Great film. I was going to talk Very about weak that. year. Last I agree. year.
1: Sp- First performed. Speaking of years that
2: You haven't even seen Burning. You can't you can't even say that.
1: <laughs> weak year. Speaking of years that uh were not weak even though we weren't speaking of that. Uh I I will say that I think 2016 will go down as one of the best years in <clears throat> cinematic history. Certainly the best year of the decade. Can you name me some films? I sure can. Uh, of course, there's La La Land, uh, Manchester <laughs> by the Sea, uh, Moonlight, Pop Star Never Stop, Never Stopping.
2: Raw. Raw <laughs> Rise from 2016. Yes. <laughs> uh,
1: the Nice Guys, a very underrated comedy. That was, that was a good movie. A Love Song, a uh, very underseen romance film that is great. And there are a couple from this year that I will not, uh, that I have not mentioned, that I would like to talk about because they got a little lost amidst the shuffle of the year that was just so good and since then uh 17 18 and 19 have come nowhere close to the quality of of 2016 are all
0: three of your movies from 2016 uh two of them
1: are okay oh and also from 2016 which i didn't love as much uh there's is that gonna talk about this one are you talking about this, Zach? I'm not going to spoil it either.
0: I will not. I will be talking about okay, that one. Okay, so I will so, be so Zach
1: will you. Zach will cover that. For Fantastic. Film. So I will not spoil that. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, uh, my first film is Hell or High Water, uh, directed by David Mackenzie, written amazingly by Taylor Sheridan, starring Chris Pine and Ben Foster as brothers who are Robin banks to make ends meet it's not a terribly complex film there there are a lot of intricacies within the characters but the the plot is pretty simple and it's it's a what i like most about it is despite despite the simplicity in its plot it is one of the most intelligent films of recent times. Uh, the way the characters think, the way they interact with with each other, the comedy in it, it's not. It's a, it's definitely a dramatic film, but there are elements of comedy in there that are just very smart. And <clears throat> Taylor Sheridan, the writer, uh, really makes the audience feel appreciated in how he he just accepts the the intelligence of the audience and writes to a higher level than we are used to seeing and because of that you really get a sense of of who these characters are how desperate they are how smart they are but also you know how fallible they are it's 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 a western brought into modern times with modern issues, and it is just tremendously well done, incredibly well acted. Uh, Pine and Foster are both very, very good. Jeff Bridges also stars uh, as a as an aging uh, detective, and it's it's a game of cop and robbers, cops and robbers, but like I said, brought to the modern era, and it's. It definitely deserves more recognition. I think it's one of the finest screenplays I've seen on film this decade and also has, has a has a killer ending that really makes you
2: think. I have seven words for you, Caleb. Better than no country for old men. <laughs> <laughs> far really? better
0: Far, far better. I've I mean that's a lot though because I, I've never seen either. Uh, they are both on my watch list, but No Country for Old Men is one of the highest, like,
2: acclaimed movies. Um, Yeah, I think I just appreciate how, how just, like, beautifully straightforward it is. It knows what it wants to be and does it well. It doesn't strive, like, I feel like No Country for Old Men strives to try to say things that it, one, I don't think it necessarily understands, and two isn't necessarily able to convey effectively, like both like thoughtfully and emotionally, um just a really good movie. Hell or high water. Definitely recommended. Go watch it.
0: Alright. I guess I will talk about my second choice. Now, when I was thinking about this movie in particular, it's because it's the best of the series, but I also just want to highlight this series as a whole. And I feel like it's just one of those things, you know, it might not be remembered in 20, 30, 40 years as, like, the most defining series it will. of the decade. I think it will. It should be, though. It honestly—the movies, after a certain point, maybe the first few, have been consistently good, and they're made very well. And they're always a fun time. The, movie, the series I'm talking about is obviously the Mission Impossible series, uh, the one that I chose— to talk about was not the most recent one, but I think the second most recent one.
2: No, it's a third. It's also the best one. It
0: is the best one. And that is mission impossible ghost protocol. It is the best one. It is the best. An amazing movie. Actually, it was this the best one. Yes. No, 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 no. I know it was, I forgot rogue nation came out. That's the one with the huge
1: water turbine thing. Yeah. That's also not the best. That one one is a
0: little bit. That one's forgettable. Not the best. That one's not the best one. Mission Impossible Fallout was a pretty solid movie that came out to uh, last year. It was solid. You didn't like it as much?
2: It was good, but it was not the best one. It was good, David but Erlich, it was not the best.
0: David Ehrlich gave it five stars, which is pretty crazy. Um, but Overall, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol is such a satisfying movie. One, the Mission Impossible movies, while they vary in quality, they've always been fun <clears throat> movies. The first few were, um, you know, I guess, before they really got their feet Um, and they were not as great. But Tom Cruise has really dedicated himself to making these movies very fun, very just like, you know, I haven't seen the James Bond movies or anything, but this is what I feel like they should be like. Skyfall. They're just very fun. You know, when you're looking for a Mission Impossible movie, you're not going in with the highest of expectations. Like, this movie, I want this to be an Oscar nominee in six categories and blah, 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 blah. blah. I think actually
1: by by the end, by this most recent one, I I had had high high expectations. Yeah, Yeah. and had a lot of of buzz. Mm -hmm. I think, but that is just a testament to the franchise and how it has built itself. I
0: agree. But Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol was perhaps the most satisfying of all of them. Um, There are so many scenes in this movie that are just amazing. We talked about you know, we've talked about early episodes, uh, you know, movies that make us anxiety-inducing. This movie just knows the right times to give you anxiety. Perhaps one of the biggest ones is seeing Tom Cruise climb the tallest building in the world on just, like, these magnetized gloves or whatever as he just climbs I like to glass. think that he
2: used hot glue. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That was insane, though. I mean, that 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 scene was crazy. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Tom Cruise, you know, I don't know My how much of My palms are already sweating. Yeah, I know. I don't know how much of that was real, but I know Tom Cruise in a lot of these movies likes to do real stunts. And he dedicates himself to doing <laughs> the most realistic stunts he can do. But this movie is just so clever. I really love the scenes with... The, uh, the face, the masks, where they make the realistic face when masks. when Simon and, Pegg's
2: character always wants the mask. Yeah, it's... That rooftop fight scene with the diamond girl is, like, it's ridiculous. It's so insane.
0: good. It's a insane. It's a great movie. It's just, like, seeing Tom Cruise climb buildings, leap over other buildings as he, like, punches people, he drives a car, remember, out to the side of the parking garage, like... He's never acting. He's just, like, having fun. He's just, like, Tom Cruise is, like, doing all this cool stuff, and he's letting us watch it. And it honestly is just a great spy film, a great, like, it's a great time. It's honestly, in my opinion, the best of the franchise. Um, And I know all of us feel the same way. You know, I think each film. (laughs) If you didn't know already. (laughs) If you didn't know already. I would argue that is. It is the best of the franchise. <laughs> really, I would also argue it is the best of the franchise. I do, I do think recently the movies have gotten well. I really don't remember Rogue Nation, which is probably not a good sign.
2: Rogue Nation was good. I don't. What not the best in though. Rogue Nation. That was the one where they meet Elsa. Um, oh, and... that was the
0: plane one, right? Where there was that scene with no, the no,
2: that's Fallout. It's the one where there's like that computer chip inside the underwater like spinning turbine, and he has to go like grab the chip.
0: I don't really remember.
2: I think, no, he does do a plane one. and He does a plane one in almost all of them. Yeah, I, I thought
0: so. Man, big, Big
1: plane franchise.
0: Fallout was good. I actually like Fallout, and I really like the uh, whole, you know, inside job aspect of it. Um, I, I can't get over the ending, though, and how <laughs> dumb it is.
2: Honestly, like, if, like, Henry Cavill was just so bad in that movie.
0: You thought he was bad? Yeah. I didn't think he was terrible. I mean, he was not He's great. got
2: the physicality for it. He's just, like... A stone.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's very true. Um But Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, just a great movie overall.
2: Fun I think, film. Yeah, I think Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol is, like, one of the first, like, quote, like, adult movies that I, like, ever saw in the theater. Um, so it's got that going for it. Um, Yeah, I think Mission Impossible is one of those series that's just gotten better and better with each successive movie, especially this decade. Because Ghost Protocol was, in a way, a reboot, I think. The earlier ones focused a lot on the director cuz like when you get Brian De Palma and John Woo to direct your action movies like that's going to be a be a big huge focus whereas they've really just embraced this whole like it's about the stunts and you go there to see these amazing amazing stunts and I think it's really benefited from that so yeah I think it's a great choice.
0: All right. Eric, would you like to talk about your second movie?
2: Okay, so this one is actually the one that I think is really really just underseen. Um it's one of my favorite movies of all time and it's called Kylie Blues and it's directed by uh Begon and this is his Begon. B Be... Yeah. Um and this is his debut feature from 2015. Um Yeah, this is a hard movie to talk about, but it's very very cryptic. Um in my first review, I described it as a mix of Wong Kar Wai with Terrence Malick with Tarkovsky. Um, it's about um, this uh, this man, and he's worried that his nephew, who he really cares for, um, has been sold by his father by this boy's father to this place called this Jin and it's this musing on time, dreams, and memory as this man essentially goes on this search for his nephew and through his search he's like going through his memories in almost like a not re- like a much more philosophical and i think cryptic way than like even like wild strawberries and there's this beautiful absolutely just transcendent 40 minute long take in the middle of the film as he's going through a village and in this in this moment it's almost like the zone in tarkovsky's stalker where the past the present and the future it's not really clear how so are all just intermingling within this time as he's musing and it's not clear whether like what what's happening on screen is really happening but his subjective reality seems to be showing that three stages of his life are just coming together it's absolutely amazing um I got the chance to watch this over summer. It's on, I think it might still be on Criterion Channel. I really urge everyone to watch it. His new movie this year, Long Day's Journey Into Night, is China's biggest art house hit ever. Um, And also features an even longer long take. It features an hour-long 3D long take. Um, And in some ways, it's even more confusing than Kylie Blues. So I would urge everyone to check those out because they deserve the hype.
0: I actually think I would be very interested in this film and that I would like yeah. it a lot because I loved Stalker. And I'm sure it's different in a lot of ways. Um, I wish we could have an episode, and maybe we will eventually, about Stalker because there's so much to say about that film. Um, yeah. Um, it's, what year is that?
2: 79. Yeah. One of so the best.
0: Not this decade, but 40 years ago. Yeah, um, this is
2: the 40. 40- wow. Okay. Long Day's Journey Tonight is also like an ode to Stalker, but it's like a neo-noir version of it, Like, version of it. Mm-hmm. It's It's... Pretty crazy. Yeah. I don't know if it's as good as Kylie Blues, but... I... Commendable.
0: I've heard you talk about this film before, and a little bit. And, yeah, definitely intriguing to me. If, if you haven't seen Stalker, for sure, also add that to your list. Um, insanely uh, amazing film, so...
1: Well, Eric's the only one who who had seen that, so... uh. I can't add anything there, but back to my, uh, back to my list where I will be bringing up another film that got lost in the or a little lost in the twenty sixteen extravaganza, and that is Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some, double exclamation mark. Uh, simply
0: put, amazing movie.
1: Yes. Very fun. Uh, for me, simply put. It is the most fiercely entertaining movie that I have ever laid eyes on. From the very beginning, basically, I was hooked. This was my after School of Rock, which I which I first saw when I was very young. This was my first Linklater, so I, I wasn't really attuned to his uh, style of realism. Or... I guess I should say I didn't expect it to be, you know, so casual and talky and plotless, and still so exciting, which it, it certainly certainly is. It, it follows uh, Blake Jenner's character Jake, who uh, goes to college. It's set in the '80s, and uh, just hangs out with with his baseball team at this college and. Uh, there's also a, a, a love interest played by Zoe Deutsch and, you know, not much happens as is with tip, typical, you know, Linklater stuff, but you just get to live with these characters and they're having so much fun and they are enjoying life so much that it really translates and really comes through the screen into you in a way that I had never experienced. Uh, I remember... The ending when the movie ended, <laughs> uh, to me it was it was kind of a looking back on it, the ending totally makes sense, but I, I felt at the time that it was abrupt and my heart dropped because I, I was I never had I been so sad in an ending because the movie was was ending. I, I was so invested in this story. It takes place over a very brief amount of time, like a week or two, maybe. I, I think maybe even less. Uh, I don't. I, I don't think it gets up to two weeks. It's it's that short, and it. Was, I I was just distraught that this movie was yeah. over, and and I was not going to to get to live with these characters any further. I know that that probably sounds like you know a, a, a cliche, but. That that is the first time that I had experienced such a heartbreak at an ending simply because the story would not continue. And so that that feeling has stayed with me. That's why I I love it so much. And for for a good time I would I would definitely suggest Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some.
0: The I I, I love that movie so much. Um seen it a few times now. Uh, watched it with Eric, I remember. Yeah. Um, I agree with you so much, uh, Caleb. That movie does leave you wanting so much more, which I think is such a good sign for a movie. Um, there's there's movies where you're when you're done with it, you're like that was good or like that was ra- wrapped up. Or there's movies like thank God this is over. <laughs> this movie is neither. It's it's you are like I wish I could. Like, you're like I kind of want to see like because this all takes place. I think a few days before the school year starts and yeah. It, yeah. It in fact ends with them on the first day of class going to their first class and one of the right? funniest lines I've ever heard in a movie where they're like, you know, who the hell's this guy? And he's like, I think, I think it's the professor. And then, and then you, you slowly watch music fade in. The music fades in and you watch the two just drift, sleep in class. And you're like, and it, it really resonates now as college students. You're like, yeah, this is so accurate but also you're just like God this movie's so fun like it's it's yeah it's it, you know might be more of a I hesitate to say it's a guy movie but the whole film is focused on this group of very jockey men but you you really also get to see a like deeper sides of some of them too um, especially the main guy uh what's his name I forgot Jake. Jake. And um,
2: Jake Blenner. <laughs> and it's a, it,
0: it's a great film. It's just it's just so fun, especially when, you know, I feel like last decade, uh, the 2000s was marked by a lot of dumb comedies. Like if you were to say, what is the genre of 2000s? It's dumb teen comedies. You know, I'm thinking American Pie and things like that. And Everybody Wants Some is like the pinnacle. Of those movies, like it's not a dumb, it's not a dumb comedy. Like, it 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 it
2: gets it gets linklater philosophical in there. Yeah, no,
0: it 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 takes those elements of how can we make a teen college movie and does it in such a way that you still have so much fun, but you're walking away with something more. Yep. And I, this was such a great choice of a movie to choose because I do I, I don't know, I don't feel like a lot of people have seen this movie. Just Somehow
2: exhibit. Link later does no wrong.
1: Indeed. Link later does no wrong. Yeah, and it's like you said about the ending, like obviously, you know, it does take place in the last few days of summer and it totally makes sense for 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 it to end, you know, on the first day of school. And yet when, when I realized it was actually ending, I, I was just like, Well, I, I, I don't I don't get to see these these guys in school and I don't know. It was it like you said, it left you wanting more, but not because it lacked anything and That's a testament of of a great
0: film. All right. Well, I guess I will give my last film, which I know will cause quite a bit of debate here. Um, My film, I was originally going to choose a different film. Um, As you know, my favorite genre of all time is sci-fi. I I sucker for sci-fi movies. Um, Love them to death. You know, obviously favorite movie, Interstellar. Not gonna be talking about Interstellar though. I'm gonna be talking about a movie that uh, I first saw last year that also came out in 2016, and it goes by the name of Arrival. And I know the two of you and we'll get into this are not the biggest fans of this movie, but this movie I have seen several times at this point, and it just it just works for me every time. Um, to give a brief summary of what this movie is, um, essentially uh Amy Adams plays uh the protagonist, Dr. Uh Louise Banks. And basically she is this uh is she what is she is like a linguist? What what's the Yeah, linguist. Yeah. Um she's very she I think she works for like a college or something and she's worked I think with she's the, at one of the UCs. Yeah, and she's worked with the government before doing type uh, you know, like deci- uh deciphering. Is that the right word? That I'm looking for. About what? Like, I don't know. She does stuff with languages. Um, anyways, all of a sudden, uh, one day, just normal day, uh, this large alien craft, uh, it looks like like a pebble. <laughs> I don't even know what the size look like. Just long, elongated uh alien craft uh just land uh, all around the world, several of them. And this uh linguist, uh like I said, Amy Adams character. Is kind of recruited by the military to determine whether or not these aliens, you know, per se, whether they come in peace or they're a threat and whatnot. Um, and the movie is really interesting. Um, and I think one of the problems that you're probably going to have with it, which we'll talk about, um, this this film deserves a good discussion. Um, that's why I kind of saved it for last so we could have the most of the movies I chose. The movie is... It's told linearly... Um, but there is a very interesting element of the film that I do not want to spoil. Well, we're, we're going to spoil it because a few years old, and uh, yeah, but if you don't want to hear spoils, uh, spoilers, then uh, definitely fast forward. Uh, we'll, we'll continue talking without spoilers for a minute. Um, but overall, this film, I believe, does an amazing job of making you feel this intense kind of unknown, uh, this feeling of unknown, like what what is happening, you know, and you know where where does humanity go from here um it's got a you know good cast jeremy renner plays um uh ian donnelly who is he's i think a physicist um in the film uh there is a couple other people i can't think of anyone off the top of my head right now um and it's i believe it's a very well-made film overall my favorite one of my favorite parts about the film is the soundtrack um I Max Richter, absolutely a legend. love the score for this film. I It might be up there with my top five of all time. Um, again, I'm biased for sci-fi films. Uh, Interstellar is also up there. Um, <laughs> but Arrival's soundtrack, just... I have never seen a movie. I've never seen a movie put you in such a trance with their score. Not even Interstellar, I think, did it for me. Arrival's score, though... Just makes you feel so eerie and so like frightened that it makes you like desire the unknown and to find out what's going on. Um, so at this point, I want to go through a little bit of spoilers. Um, oh, first I should mention the director. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his name.
2: The, I think it's Denis Villeneuve. Yeah,
0: Denis the Neil Villeneuve. We're butchering that, I'm sure. Um, I'm gonna go with. He's directed uh, a few other movies, uh, notable movies. He is directing Dune in 2020.
2: Uh, yep, I just searched up the IPA. It's Denis Villeneuve.
0: Villeneuve, okay. He directed, uh, other notable films he directed is Blade Runner 2049, which has is a pretty well-acclaimed film. Uh, Prisoners, which is a very hyped film. We've already Incendies talked about that before.
2: is his most underrated film and also um, maybe his best.
0: He's directed uh, Sicario and Enemy uh, that stars uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, which I told, was heard is an okay film. Um, I know Prisoners is uh, – we've talked about that plenty of times, so we don't need to rehash that. Um, but, yeah, Arrival, uh, at this point, spoilers ahead. But the whole idea with Arrival is that these aliens are trying to give something to humanity, and they're, and they're figuring this out. And it's a very slow film. Um, I won't lie, very slow, a lot of it is piecing together um there's also these like this there's a lot of interesting parts that talk about or just like show humanity as a whole and uh, the uh, the innate fear that we have of the unknown and you know there's a scene where they try to blow up the ship because they believe that they're trying to like give weapons to like you know like the russians or like just the, other China- kinds, there's the chinese whole plot with the chinese yeah and she
2: like knows she like somehow then like knows chinese like
0: well so what do you mean? She she knows Wait, a though lot she's of languages. Yeah, she's she, a linguist, she, she knows a lot. She's multilingual. She's a, um she's
2: quote a polyglot.
0: Yeah, polyglot. Sorry, there we go. Um but yeah. And so it ends up being though that <laughs> I I don't even know how to effectively explain it um as much. And maybe that's a fault of this film, but it ends up being that in the end of the film you find out and and I should probably preface this with there's these interesting really flashbacks they're very heavily
2: presented as flashbacks but you find out at the end that these flashbacks are flash forwards so there's flash quote flashbacks hinting to the idea that amy adams's character um had a child louise had a child and this child died and that's sort of this context you go into understanding the sort of, like, lonely life that she lives. Yeah, and it um, tricks you
0: into thinking that that's yeah. what it is like at the beginning. Yeah. That that's where she's coming from. um, But that's actually where she's going. going yeah. And it brings up some interesting ideas of, you know, predetermination, you know, fate, things like that. Um, and, you know, she learns that the, the person she's going to have a child with is Jeremy Renner's character. Um, and she still decides to go along with it anyways. And, and basically... The gift she gives, the gift that's given to humanity, what was it? It's like, it's like
2: this perception. It's, I think it's like the way they perceive time. Like, yeah, this like cer- like the the um the the like way that these aliens use language is with these circle like blo- ink blots. Yeah,
0: and they don't read them in a certain order. There's not like it's not like an order. There's no like left to right. There's no up to. It's like a whole. They interpret the image like
2: yeah.
0: in time and they represent like whole ideas. And so the whole point is that these by giving that by, if you read the language and because Amy Adams has become so immersed in the language, she develops the I- ability to see time differently. And essentially she's able to see her own future um, in, in that aspect. And she still chooses to go along with it. It's it's a little vague whether or not it like it has to happen I think it's implied maybe that she chooses for it to happen knowing the consequences um overall i think it's a very interesting one i love films that mess with the idea of time um and things like that two i feel like it does show a lot about just like humanity and about kind of the way humans react to things like that um in terms of reacting to the visitation of you know the aliens and you know our instinct for self-preservation and things like that. But overall, I felt like this film did a lot for me, um, and it still holds up on rewatches. Um, but I know you guys did not feel the same as much. Uh, you guys do have several issues with this film.
2: Um, I actually I don't hate Arrival. I actually really like Arrival. I mean, I can't hate any movie that's so much about linguistics. Just, I mean... I'm cog-sci major. I take a lot of linguistics classes like I I loved most of this movie. I think it I think my main issue with it was I don't know, it just f- feels emotionally unsatisfying at the end for me. And part of it is this weird flashback flash forward thing. I also just don't know I, I just wish the film had done something different with the way it ended that felt much more satisfying to me. Whether it was something about the aliens or something that told us more or like gave, or made us more connected to like Louise's character. And I think that's where I, it didn't like land properly for me. But I do generally really enjoy it. It's one of my favorite Villanova films.
0: Yeah, I mean it is purposely. Uh, you know, it, there is a lot of vagueness to it, and I think some people may like that more than others. Um, I liked it, um, but I can understand there is a lot left out.
1: Yeah, similar to to Eric. Um, I I just never got the emotion of it. I was on board with the mystery of of what was happening for as long as that lasted, but by the time you know everything is revealed say okay that's the reveal but i i was never really moved by it which i am fairly certain was the intention by the end it Mm -hmm. was it was not yeah it was meant to be more than a than a cut and dry you know mystery thriller right It, it was supposed to speak about humanity and really tap into what it means to be a person and hopefully affect the audience uh in that way and and have them consider their own humanity and and potentially be hopefully uh be affected by that and i just never reached that point so it it was it was solid it was certainly well made uh but beyond that i found it forgettable
0: all right
2: that's the neville noise thing he gets you he wants you to he really wants you to consider what it means to like be a person and all these deep things, and then he never sticks it.
0: Yeah, there, that's definitely more of an issue I see in some of his other films, like Prisoners. <laughs> uh, we've talked about a bunch, but... All right, Eric, your last Okay, movie. my
2: last film, I really wanted to talk about a documentary. and This isn't the one I'm going to talk about, but we were talking about 2016, Camera Person by Kirsten Johnston, one of the best documentaries of the decade. Um, I'm just going to... You guys can figure out what that is. It's about... I guess I'm just going to say it now before I go into my real one about Kirsten Johnson. She's a famous documentary filmmaker and she's made all these famous documentaries, including like I think citizen Four, the Edward Snowden doc. And it's just a collection of her, um, of scenes that ended up on the cutting room floor that she felt incredibly impacted by. And it, it's incredibly poignant says a lot about what it means to be a filmmaker. Okay. Moving on (laughs) the ones I really want to talk about, they're pretty big. It's technically two, but I I really like the first one more. It's the duo of Joshua Oppenheimer's The Act of Killing and The Look of Silence. Um and Joshua what Op- well, essentially the plot is, Joshua Oppenheimer um goes to um I think it's Indonesia. Um where there was, uh, yeah, it is Indonesia, uh, where there was a mass genocide in the years of 1965 to 1966 as some people, some militants, decided to just call people communists and kill them. And in the U.S., it was portrayed as this huge win against communism. And these mass like people, mass killers who committed genocide, are now still completely in political power in Indonesia and they're still like the ruling class and the act of killing goes to Indonesia and ostensibly is making a film with reenactments of the mass killings that these people did with these exact same people that did these mass killings in real life. And it's this crazy twisted blending of fact and fiction that really delves into these twisted mindsets that these people have it's um there's it focuses on this one specific man named Anwar who is one of the big mass killers and it's just sickening it's probably the closest thing that I've ever felt to seeing pure evil as he's like laughing as he's like tying metal rope around his neck saying how he would kill people with like just extremely graphic and sexual ways and just laugh about it with just no remorse or how people like in the car are like justifying killing like hundreds of people personally, like not like with just like knives and like slicing them open and saying like, Oh, it's because of the money and saying that, saying that as like a justifiable reason for killing all these people. And I think it's just incredibly, incredibly important and incredibly effective. And I think more people need to watch it.
0: Alright. Caleb, would you like again, to do Again, yourself? Eric
1: is the only one to have seen that, so apologies for not being able to add anything uh, there. Eric's just more cultured than us. I is, would agree. Is the reality. Uh, so for my last film, I will be talking about Anomalisa. Uh, written and co-directed by Charlie Kaufman. Also co-directed by Duke Johnson. Uh... This is a brilliant film. It, it's a a great idea, uh. In my opinion, it's it's a claymation, or perhaps not. It's certainly stop motion uh, animation, and it it follows a character Michael, who is very lonely, and he exists in a world where everyone is basically the same. In fact, uh, Tom Noonan voices every single person in this world, except for Lisa, uh, played by Jennifer Jason Lee. So it's, it, it, it starts off by following Michael as he navigates this lonely, suffocating world uh, where he can find no joy, uh, no happiness, because he can't find anything unique. Everything is the same. Everything is trapping him, and everything is is closing in on <laughs> essentially his his will to live. So he's he's kind of falling apart before he meets Lisa, who is new, who is different who is exciting and who he begins to fall in love with and so it really follows their relationship in this total Kafka-esque world where things are off and things don't make sense and it's in normal you know Charlie Kaufman writing it's it's enlightening it's hugely emotional and as opposed to something like, I believe, Arrival, where they don't get to what it means to be human. I think here they do, and this is probably Kaufman's most underappreciated work in his whole filmography. Uh, not to mention, you know, this being not very talked about among best of the of this decade. Uh, but I think it's. If, if for me, it's it's the second best film that that Kaufman has worked on after Synecdoche, New York. And it's, it's a great idea for a story, very simple, and it's executed so well. Uh, and it, he never loses sight of the reality of being human. Even in, for example, uh, the most... Harrowing sex scene you might you might you might ever see it. I'll
2: let I'll let Eric uh, talk about it. There's nothing like watching a movie and seeing like a claymation like like realistic sex scene. Wow, I don't I didn't have much to say about it other than just sex scene of the decade. (laughs) Oh my
0: god,
1: (laughs) that that could have been our our intro question. Um, anyway, um, it's it's. It's it's a beautiful, depressing, life affirming film and uh another Kaufman masterpiece that should not be lost among uh among the movies of this decade or
0: ever. Now, I have to say Sexy of the Decade would absolutely go to high life.
1: I'm gonna watch that tonight,
0: so do you know what no scene spoilers. I'm talking about, Eric?
2: Like the room scene. Yes. I, does that count as a sex scene? Yes. Sure.
0: I think it does. Crazy scene. Okay. Very uncomfortable.
2: Well, uh, none of us have seen *Nymphomaniac* yet, so yeah. I don't think we can we can say anything <laughs> about not, the sex scene of we the decade. Have not. That's true. <laughs> I, I honestly never put it past Lars to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, those were our nine movies. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy. Uh, you know, enjoy listening to those. Definitely check, check them out. if You haven't seen them. Um, They're great films, uh, and yeah, so we're going to talk now, uh, go into, obviously, we're going to still be talking about films, but we're going to specifically focus in now on, uh, you know, our decade in review. We're going to talk about our favorite, maybe not favorite, just notable actors and actresses from this decade, uh, ones that we think either define or that we like or blah, 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 blah. I'm going to start off with that. Uh, I think I have a very easy one, and I think it's very self-explanatory when you think who is the best dect- dector- <laughs> actor of the decade. You cannot even come close to talking about this decade without mentioning Leonardo DiCaprio. Now, I want to preface this with reality. the reality is as much as they joke, you can't. Because Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm dead serious. Leonardo DiCaprio has so many good movies in the last 10 years that it is absurd. I'm just going to list a few of them real quick. And I want to say what their average rating is on
2: Letterboxd. Average rating on Uh. (laughs) Letterboxd?
0: Inception. The defining metric. In 2010, uh, Inception starring Leonardo DiCaprio, 4.2 star average rating. Uh, Django Unchained, 2012 Quentin Tarantino movie, 4.1 average rating. Gatsby, that one is a little bit lower, 3.3 average rating, but still, still an okay. More film. than a little lower. <laughs> <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street, uh, probably should have been the movie that he won his first Oscar for. Uh, uh Martin scores, uh, Scorsese movie, uh, 4.0 average rating. Uh, The Revenant, which he did win his first uh, uh, Oscar for yeah. which he shouldn't have in the sense that he should have won it for something else. Uh, but it is a 3.8 average rating. And then obviously the most recent, which is once upon a time in Hollywood, which is a 3.9 rating, another Quentin Tarantino movie. So all pretty solid movies. Um, I would have to say that obviously, you know, it, it might be a cop out to say Leo Um we we all three here agree that Leonardo DiCaprio is not the most captivating actor he i mean you cannot say that he is not a great actor but you know he's obviously maybe not the best of all time or even the best of the decade but he does have just a lot of notable But he is your roles. actor of the decade. I would say he's <laughs> the actor of the decade in the sense that he has the most notable roles that y- when you think about the movies that came out in 2010s it's just a lot of these define... And, and, I would I would hazard directors. a guess,
2: I'm sorry, that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Django, Shutter Island, Great Gatsby, and Revenant are going to be forgotten very quickly. I disagree.
0: Um, I disagree. I disagree.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, obviously, Inception is a very solid movie. Uh, Wolf of, of Wall Street favorite. is by far his best performance um, on here. I would maybe agree, but I would also not necessarily... I think you very much underrate his performance in Django Unchained, and you actually haven't even seen it. Can Eric. I
1: talk about that um, for a sec?
0: I, I I know you want to talk about it, but one sec, one sec. <laughs> okay. let, me, let, me, let, me, right. let me let me let me just say this, and then I'll let you rebuttal because I know Eric has not seen it, so he can't really say much. But I I very much believe that Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in Django Unchained was the best part of that movie. Um, a lot of it was just so real from him, and it was it was just. I thought he did a very great job. He obviously, uh, if you haven't seen Django Unchained, he plays uh, the, uh, I guess, slave owner slash kind of just house owner. Uh, jerk. Jerk. Definitely a, a mean guy. He uh, His name is Calvin Candy. And he, uh, you know, Django is all about this guy who has escaped slavery and is trying to kind of save his wife. Uh, and, you know, he's with this bounty hunter uh by the name of uh, dr king schultz and this whole kind of mission to save his wife very violent movie uh it's actually my favorite quentin tarantino movie uh from the ones i've seen and uh it's a, it's a solid movie and i think leonardo dicaprio does a very great job in that movie there's actually a scene towards the end i know where like uh, i think it's like i don't know if he cut himself or something but he like played it off like it was. It wasn't supposed to happen, but I just think it was a very amazing performance by him. Now, Caleb, what do you have to
1: say? About well, that? okay, first, like Leo, Leo, Leo is a very good actor. Like I, you know, all, yeah, all, oh yeah, all, a- we're a- not everything aside. Yeah, um, and I liked Django relative to Tarantino's the rest of his filmography, but yeah, I wanted to to, to just bring up that glass scene. Uh, where basically he's in a rage and then he slams a glass and he cuts his hand and it's bleeding and that that wasn't in the script and he kept going. And somehow that has become the most iconic moment in that film and something that people bring up all the time when referencing DiCaprio's whole career, which, like, I don't know. he, he, He cut his hand and he stayed in character. For like a, a, a few minutes. And that's it. And I, I, I don't see how that. I don't see why that should be a separating metric. You know someone who who stayed in character. When when they cut their cell. And probably couldn't even really feel it. Because I'm sure he was so in the moment. I, I don't know. That, that story has always been kind of f- weird to me. That that is how people. That that, that, that is what people point to to prove his prowess as an actor that you know he stayed into character when when he cut his hand like you know it's a good scene and i'm that happy improv added to to the movie certainly but i don't know it 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 befuddles me that that is where people go when they when they look at his, Dick Dicaprio's yeah. work because he definitely does have some great stuff in in Catch Me If You Can, for example, I great, I, film. great film. I love his performance there. Uh, yeah, he, he's he's a really good actor.
0: Yeah, I I but, agree with but, you. But you know, he's not. You know,
1: I, personally, we'll 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 get to to my actor in a bit. But yeah, and
0: I'm not to I don't want to say to Leonardo DiCaprio is definitely decade. not my my favorite actor of the decade. Um, if I had to say my favorite actor, it's definitely Matthew McConaughey. But I didn't want to. And you wanna get into Interstellar and everything. But I, I, I do when I was really thinking, it came to my head and then we, we we talked a little bit and it came to my head that it's just like yeah, you, you can't talk about two thousand tens without talking about what will probably be Leonardo DiCaprio's defining decade of his career. Like it is just there's there's too many movies to mention, you know. Obviously, Wolf of Wall Street might be his best performance overall. He does a very great job, obviously playing this very, you know, cocky businessman who comes from nothing but like gains everything. Um, the Revenant was not my favorite movie, but obviously he plays he plays it off very well. I thought he was I I very actually I enjoyed him in one spot in time in Hollywood. Um, I actually thought I enjoyed his character. In some ways, more than Brad Pitt's character, and I know Eric might disagree with that. No, I, they're both good. They're both good. I think they're both solid. I, I, I just thought there was more sustenance to Leo's character, in in and maybe, maybe that's just more of his the role his character had. I thought some of the scenes where he was acting, and that one in particular where he was uh, crying uh, from the, the little girl telling him, uh, about him as an actor and stuff, and he was kind of crying a little bit. I really liked the scene where he's getting really drunk in his trailer, kind of, you know. I, I, The thing I like about Leo as an actor is just, I, you know, sometimes it can pull you out of a film knowing there's a super famous actor, you know, playing this role. But I think he, he very much always plays every character he has with passion. Um, does he always pull it off? I don't know. Uh, but I think he, he, he really dedicates himself to every film that he's in, and you never walk away thinking at least i've never walked away thinking oh leo you know it's more been like you know he did what he could you know and he he did a great job you know i i felt with with Django. uh you know once upon a time wolf of wall street uh, i thought he was a good part of gatsby obviously gatsby is not a great film overall um i i enjoyed great gatsby i thought he did a great job in that though uh, inception he's stellar um i haven't seen shutter island actually I do like his older films as well. We know we're not really talking about that, but I watched Catch Me If You Can for the first time this last summer. Thought he did a great job in that role as well. I think he can do a really good job, kind of playing this kind of cocky, like, uh, you know, like know-it-all kind of character, which might be some. That just might be himself. That might just be him. But I do think that when you look back at the 2010s, he will be seen as a defining actor.
2: Well, then, guess it's my turn. I think. I really think after this episode, I'm never gonna be able to talk about First Reform again, because <laughs> um, my actor is Ethan Hawke. Um, Ethan Hawke, obviously his his decade, well his decade his his <laughs> career means. has spanned decades. Like Dead Poet Society is obviously a classic. He's in Gattaca. Awesome movie. Um, but I think for me, I feel like the the 2010s represent a huge turning point for Ethan Hawke. He's not too old. He's he he's about to turn fifty next year, so I guess he's sort of old. But um, in 2013, uh, before Midnight came out, and I always feel like, even though I watched it then, I didn't watch it then. I feel like that's a huge turning point in his life. I mean, the Before trilogy spanned almost twenty years of his career. And I think there's just this question of what's he going to do afterwards and is he going to be the same? And then he comes out with Boyhood. It's obviously a huge hit, still with Richard Link later. Sort of the same thing, but, and he's making other things. Like he um, he's in Magnificent Seven, he's in Predestination. Um, but then when First Reformed comes out, First Reformed is just such a good showcase of Ethan Hawke's range. He's absolutely incredible. like one of my performances of the decade and it's just such a good turn for him i think he's he's just amazing uh and to even think that he's also this decade started directing he directed um i think he directed a music doc but last year he directed no he made a music biopic he made a music biopic called blaze um on this artist called blaze foley which is very good I think, and he also stars in, and just this year, he was in Hirokazu Koreta, who um, won the Palme d'Or last year with Shoplifters, he's in that director's English-language debut, so I think he's turned in, between Before Midnight and First Reformed, some of the best performances of a decade, while also showing that he's, even in his point in his career, still just moving forward.
1: Ethan Hawke is one heck of an actor, and that's... I'm in agreement there. That's that's my view on that. Uh, no, no controversy there. Um, all right. My actor of the decade is... Not as good as his brother.
2: <laughs> that's actually just false. <laughs> no, I know. I agree with you. I agree with
0: you.
1: Casey Affleck. Uh, Who you might have seen in Interstellar, A Ghost Story, Uh, The Old Man and the Gun. Last night, Eric and I watched Light of My Life, which he also wrote and directed. But what we're really here for is his Oscar-winning performance in Manchester by the Sea. Simply transcendent. I think that that's the easiest way to describe what he pulls off in Manchester. Um, Perhaps the most human performance I have ever witnessed. And somehow he he managed to find a, a plethora of unique levels of sadness and never made it showy. Never, you know, stole attention when when the story wasn't focusing on him. He just flat out existed in his role in just an obscenely impressive showcase of talent., uh, he he makes that film what it is, and easily the the performance of the decade for me, and this is coming off when he has arguably the performance of the decade in the 2000s in the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. I think i got that right? Um he is just awesome in 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 Manchester. Um it's 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 really hard hard to speak about because he <laughs> it's not it's not something that you can just point to and say this is what I liked it's it's something that affects you much more deeply than that it's you're not looking at his technique you know you're not looking at you know oh angry outbursts you're you're not even looking at at just the sadness that exists on the surface you just feel how affected he is uh by his life that has just, collapsed in front of him and it's it's beautiful is 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 what I would call it. His his trying to get his life on track, his relationship uh with Lucas Hedges' Patrick, uh in, in the flashbacks with uh with Kyle Chandler's Joe. It's it's heartbreaking to watch, but in that sense, an absolute joy and wonder.
2: In the way Casey Affleck, quote, can't beat it in Manchester by the Sea, there are very few people who could beat that performance.
0: Boom. All right, well, now moving on to actress of the decade. Um, I will start again, and I've already talked about her today. In fact, uh, when I talked about the movie Arrival, and I am, in fact, talking about Amy Adams. And I, I believe uh, Amy Adams has quite a few films uh, in her pocket and quite a few performances that are just jaw-dropping. I think she does a great job salvaging some bad movies, and she furthers some good movies. Uh, some notable movies that she's in uh, in the 2010s, uh, she's in The Master uh, by PTA. Uh, she is in her uh, a Spike Jones movie. Uh, she is in American Hustle. She is in Arrival. She is also in the Batman vs. Superman and uh, Justice League movies. But I'm not going to uh, point to those as being the uh, defining moments of her career. She's also in a movie that I've heard good things about called. Uh, pretty good things about Nocturnal Animals. Um, I think overall, while she may not have the most impressive list of accomplishments in the 2010s, she has some damn good performances. Um, her performance in her specifically is amazing, and um, you know it's definitely maybe a little bit shadowed by Joaquin Phoenix's performance, but Amy Adams is right up there. I mean that the cat the the trio of of Joaquin Phoenix, Scarlett Johansson, Amy Adams is just insane in that movie. Uh, and there's also someone else in the movie that I know Eric will be talking about. Um, but uh, she's great in her. Uh, very very human. Uh, and that, I mean, the movie as a whole is amazing. We've talked about it before. Um, Arrival, like I said, she easily carries that movie 100%. You really feel with her character and what she's able to do with it. I've not seen The Master. Um, so I can't comment. Do either of you have any comments on her performance in The Master um, um, stick out at all, or
2: I? It's fine. It's serviceable. I don't think she's a huge role in it.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. I, it, it, it's it's good, but you know that's all about Joaquin and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah,
0: I, I think Hoffman. the same is uh, probably in American Hustle. I don't know how. I
2: much. think she's slightly bigger, but I think Still. her main leading roles are Arrival and Nocturnal.
0: Yeah, Arrival. Nocturnal, and I would say she's definitely not lead, but she's a very supporting role in her, but still does a great job. Um, I also have to say that as much as I hate this movie from the bottom of my heart, she is probably the only salvageable thing about Vice, besides um, uh, obviously Christian Bale. But Amy Adams in Vice is. She plays the role perfectly of uh, Dick Cheney's wife and uh, I thought she did a fantastic job for a garbage of a movie. Uh, I mean utter terribleness. I cannot even say it enough. Uh regardless, she she's never a bad thing in the movie, which you know, you definitely is a good is a good thing, but does that make her notable actor of the 2010s? The reason I think she is a notable actress in the 2010s is not just because she doesn't make a movie worse, but because she makes a movie better. She she really elevates any movie she's in. She's given great performances in Arrival and her. And overall, I, I, I think that she has a lot more to go. Uh, you know, there's a movie that I'm looking forward to um, called The Woman in the Window that is coming out in 2020 and you know it's interesting how much uh you know sh- more she can do she's she's been in a lot and i think her career is kind of just starting in terms of where she can go um she's she's a terrific actor and i'm excited to see what else she'll be in.
2: yeah it's a good choice not as good as my choice haha bite me um i chose Rooney Mara, we already talked about her a little in the social network. Who's
0: she? I don't even know who she is.
2: She's in the social network Mm -hmm. and probably the most iconic scene, but I think she's also, I think, similar to Affleck, someone who can really, really just delve deep into her characters and show a lot of emotional versatility, yet also just a lot of restraints. Um, I think my main performances from her that I really enjoy are in Carol, for which she won best actress at Cannes and also a ghost story in which she has the scene where she sits down and eats an entire chocolate pie for like almost 10 minutes. Um, that's just, it's just spellbinding. Um, she, other than that, she, she has a pretty important role I'd say in her as she does a good job there. She's in Terrence Malick's song to song as mu- and she was good as that as much as you can be good in Terrence Malick's song to song where you just do voiceover and do some little dances. Um, she was the lead in David Fincher's Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, she was one of the leads in Steven Soderbergh's Side Effects in Gus Van Sant's Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. She's done a lot of stuff this decade, and I think she's shown in a lot of it.
0: I've heard she's very good in the dragon uh the girl with the what was it called the girl, girl with, the, with the dragon tattoo. tattoo i've heard she's like the best part of that movie
2: she is the lead i i haven't seen it especially because yeah, i'm not one. too hot on fincher but a ghost story and carol big recommendations
1: all right uh wrapping up the actress of the decade i will be talking about emma stone Woo-hoo. who had uh, a couple notable roles in the previous decade, uh, really starting with Superbad in 07 Great and movie. Zombieland in 2009. Movie. But she really broke onto the scene with a starring role in 2010's Easy A. And you may have also seen her in Crazy Stupid Love, uh, The Help, uh, the amazing Spider-Man movies. Ooh, rip. Not her fault not her fault for um, sure. she has an incredible cameo in pop star never stop never stopping as if you didn't have reason enough to just watch and rewatch and rewatch that movie already uh, but she her, her best work has come uh, in Birdman for which she was nominated as a best supporting actress The Favorite she was also nominated for best supporting actress and in la la land she won best actress. Uh, she's incredibly versatile as you can tell from this wide selection of films. She can do drama, comedy and even even e- something in a bigger blockbuster scope like Spider-Man. Uh, she she can do it all, do it all. Uh, and of course as as Eric is telling me, pop star, she just comes in and steals that scene. Uh-oh
2: the beef
1: if you're not going to watch the movie at least listen to her track
2: real your body on the flame
1: that's from turn up the beef uh in the favorite she you know transformed into uh british what's the opposite of of, of nobility not not exactly peasantry but she she starts out as this uh person it's it's a it's an underdog story in a way, uh, a pretty twisted, twisted one yeah. uh, where, where she rises to power and something like that is totally different from her rebellious uh, character that she plays in Birdman, which is, again, totally different from the from the aspiring actress she, she plays in La La Land. She can do it all. She has gotten significant recognition for her work. And I think, most notably, uh, her roles are very memorable, and people will continue talking about the roles and talking about the movies that she uh, has been in, and that's in no small part because of her. So,
0: actress of the decade, I go with Emma Stone. It is hard to argue with that in the sense that she has made quite an array of films uh, over the last few years, and... I mean, she's so young still. Like, she can. she's going to make many more. All do, of these actresses are still young. They are. Yeah. They are. I, I do feel like I am obligated to also mention Scarlett Johansson as an actor, actress of the decade. Um, just because we talk about her so much and she's obviously been in so many... Oscar-winning, Iron, Oscar <laughs> Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2. She's obviously been in all the Marvel films. She was in uh, Marriage Story recently. Under
2: the Skin.
0: Uh, Under the Skin, I have not seen. She was in her as, a, as the voice. Um, <laughs> she is just in a lot of things, and you know we're not going to spend too also much time. Also
1: in Lucy. Don't watch Lucy. <laughs> don't,
0: don't watch <laughs> Lucy. Uh, Lost, don't do it. Lost in Translation, one of Caleb's favorites. She's in The Prestige. Uh, she, I mean, like when you, when you talk about, she's in Jojo Rabbit. So when you talk about someone who is very well accomplished, we all know it's Scarlett Johansson, but we wanted to give some light to some other actresses. Thanks. All right. Well, we want to end the podcast talking about our favorite or most notable scene from scene the Scene of the decade. That's crazy. Scene of the
1: you know how many scenes are, are in are... this decade? Do you
0: know? Millions. At least infinite. Eight. Or nine,
2: well, maybe least. maybe
0: ten. I don't know about that. That's, that's what they at that's least is for. It. That's what they're that's what they're saying. But I don't believe that. All right. Well, I don't know their scenes at all, so I don't even know if it's good to end on. But we're just gonna do the same path we've been doing. I guess I'll start. We'll end with Caleb. Caleb, better have a damn good scene to end this on. Caleb, you have a good scene.
1: Yeah, you know Suicide Squad. Oh my it's the god, whole movie. I think
0: that's pff, greatest oh. movie. All right, so I am gonna talk about a scene. <laughs> Uh, of a movie that I've saw also recently and it is I believe okay it's not underrated but I think it deserves some it 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 gets more hate than it deserves um and it is overall one of the best biopics that I have ever seen and it is probably the most powerful scene in a movie that I can I can remember in a long long time, and the movie I will be talking about is First Man, starring Ryan Gosling. If you don't know, First Man obviously follows the story of Neil Armstrong and uh, his path onto becoming the first man to ever walk on the moon. Uh, the movie is incredible, uh, it truly is. Uh, I've never felt so much pain for someone else before, so much just so excited for someone to get somewhere and to achieve a goal. I mean, this performance by Ryan Gosling, you know, we obviously didn't mention him for Act of the Decade, but he's had some damn good performances. First Man, The Big Short, Nice Guys, Crazy Stupid Love, La La Land, Blade Runner 2049. Those are some good movies. And overall, this movie is incredible. But most notably, there's one scene in particular, which I'm sure Caleb knows which scene I'm going to mention. Um, the first thing to to preface that scene, though, is to talk about uh, Neil Armstrong's daughter. Uh, I believe it's his youngest or do you know if it's only daughter? I don't remember. I think it's the only, the only daughter. daughter. The only daughter um, that he has when he's younger, Uh with his wife, uh, dies very early on, uh, I believe, of cancer, if that's correct. I believe it's something like that. It's definitely some type of, uh, you know, disease where she dies very, very young uh, within the first few years of her life. Um, throughout the movie, you're constantly reminded by uh, Ryan Gosling's performance and just the, the writing and, you know, Neil Armstrong, you're reminded so much of how much he cares about her, his daughter, uh, that his passed, and how much he thinks about her. And he also struggles. Uh, he also struggles dealing with her death so much, um, and it is just heartbreaking. And towards the end of the movie, you are, uh, you are shown a scene that is not confirmed in real life, but many believe did happen, um, and it will has never been talked about by Neil Armstrong because it is such a such a personal moment but throughout the movie uh and very early on there is a reference um made to a bracelet that his daughter uh made for him when uh before she died and uh he puts it in his desk and everyone is asking him during these interviews what is going to be the first thing you like I think do or or the thing you bring with you to the moon because people are like oh you know bring this and bring that you know blah 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 and they were all just very mundane things but he never says what he's going to bring and it's really in the back of your mind as the scene, as the movie goes on like oh i think i know you know you, it, it's not, you kind of forget about the bracelet but you also realize that it's there and how much it means to him and in the very last scene the moon landing scene and specifically him on the moon is one of the most amazing scenes i've ever seen in my entire life there is a, i think it's like 5 minutes so he, he lands the space shuttle, very stressful moment. <laughs> Granted, you know what's going to happen. Uh, you know they're going to make it. Still a very anxiety-inducing scene. But then you just get this moment from when the door opens um, on the lander of just silence. You just get like five minutes of just silence. The movie is completely silent as Neil Armstrong steps off onto the moon And walks kind of in the distance and uh, I think you might get you definitely get a few moments of uh, you know like radio talk between him and Buzz Aldrin and uh, you know he says the famous line that we all know of you know one small step for man one giant you know step for mankind but there's this moment within the background this beautiful music where he walks over to this crater this large crater uh, that is covered in darkness And he opens his hand, and he just lets this bracelet go. And you just see a close-up of his face. You hear a little bit of music in the background. But otherwise, it is just silent as you see him release this bracelet, and it just drift away. And it's the moment you finally feel like he has, you know, he's done something. He's finally done the thing he promised his daughter he would do and he's he's finally trying to move on you know he's he's trying to he's going to go back and become you know the father he can be to his other two boys to the, the husband he knows he can be and it's just this moment of just such deep pain but such deep release that it is it sticks with you it's haunting but it's also just so incredible and uh, I think the movie delivers it very well a beautiful moment. Definitely. And
1: uh, like you said, the silence and then Justin Hurwitz's score just makes it perfect.
2: I think and that's when the aspect ratio change kicks in, too. Right. That's a crazy moment.
0: Yeah, it is. You're right.
2: Um, Yeah. Biopic. That's definitely much more.
0: Definitely. I think one of the best biopics of the of the 2010s.
2: I think that might be my favorite space movie of the 2010s. Okay, but right, moving, on, moving on. <laughs> right. Moving um, on. The scene I'm going to talk about is going to be the ending scene of The Lobster, and I'm going to try my best not to spoil this. Um, so The Lobster, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, came out in 2015, is sort of this satire on how humans view relationships and the sort of tribalism that occurs with that. Um, so there's this hotel where everyone must be in a relationship for, um, must find a relationship within 45 days or else you get turned into an animal. And then there's this also flip side where there's this forest where everyone has to be single. Um, and this end of the scene is where our main characters both sort of leave these two main groups and find themselves in society um they're not sure whether they're going to be together they're not sure whether they what's going to happen with their future um they just know they're they're here and they're in the moment and they've made their way to like the real like world society where everyone has to be coupled up and they sort of aren't and something really traumatic has just happened to them and this final moment there's this pivotal decision by Colin Farrell's character that I don't even want to say anything about it, but it's maybe the best filmic litmus test we've had this decade. Amazing.
1: Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of the of the entire movie. I loved or I I very much liked the first half. The second half lost me a little, but but the ending is definitely something special. Worth watch worth watching the the whole movie for.
2: Um It's probably one of the funniest movies of the 2010s. It's, like, super dark, but very hilarious in Yorgos' way. He's probably one of the best directors of this decade, just with his output. All right, for
1: this final scene, the scene of the decade, which my fellow compatriots have failed to identify, there is one right answer here, and... Yeah, you thought I wasn't going to talk about La La Land, (laughs) and you were wrong. The scene of the decade is epilogue from La La Land. Tying the whole movie together, creating the most bittersweet moment that I have experienced in a movie theater uh, I, th- I can't really, you know, discuss without spoiling, but, you know, if if you've listened to this podcast long enough, I, I sure hope you've seen La La Land. Uh, basically, it it's, it's discovered that throughout the whole movie, you know, uh, Mia and Sebastian, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling have been building their relationship as well as trying to progress their professional lives. Mia as an actress, uh, and Sebastian as a pianist trying to open up his own club. And by the end, both have achieved their professional goals, but it has come at the expense of them not staying together personally. So Mia, uh, and her husband, not Sebastian, uh, find their way into Sebastian's club, where Sebastian sees her and starts playing the Mia and Sebastian's theme. And this launches into an amazing uh, musical number, again, uh, composed by Justin Hurwitz, which combines basically every song, each theme, from... From the whole movie puts it into one track and over the track plays an alternate timeline essentially of what might have happened had me and Sebastian stayed together. And it's absolutely crushing and beautiful simultaneously. And at the end it it, it closes with uh, with Sebastian again playing Mia and Sebastian's theme uh to to end the song and end the film and the look of love and appreciation between me and Sebastian is everything it's it's why we go to the movies it's what we hope to perhaps have one day in our lives and it's just incredible scene of the decade movie of the decade and well I, I won't stop thinking
0: about it soon. we just had a sneak la la land in there i guess
2: that's breaking the rules caleb we might it have is to thank you for that i think you're gonna I don't know there's understand. a lot of first reform here today <laughs> a lot of Ethan hark stuff <laughs> no I,
0: I i i think that scene is definitely one of the most powerful i've ever seen as well um as a recent la la land uh... leather uh, non-hater anymore uh, definitely agree with that. the ending scene um, I think all three of the movies I haven't seen Lobster yet definitely looking forward to watching it though with Eric because um, I know it is his favorite movie or one of them uh, the 2010s it's just about over and uh, it's been a lot it's kind of crazy it's, I guess that's like our, I mean like you know, we were alive in the 2000s but we were young you know like this is the real decade we really got to kind of dive into our tastes and really develop you know the things we like about movies and everything like that, and I'm I'm excited to see what the 2020s hold. What do what do you, if you make any predictions right now? Uh, actors, actresses, any uh, notable movies, directors, uh, genres. Um, I think I think uh, I think I, I do think horror is going to keep going. The last few years, horror has come back a little bit in t- in terms of uh, making these high quality like thriller horror movies that have kind of like obviously way deeper connotations. Um, I'm, you know, I think of like get out as an example, granted I haven't seen it, but I, I know that was uh, one of the big things. Uh, I don't know. Do you guys have any predictions, anything, any, any directors Any actors that will, you know, excel, you know, reach their peak or
1: recency bias, of course, because we just recently yeah. saw uncut gems, but, Safety brothers look like they're
0: here to stay. Oh yeah, they're going mm-hmm. places for sure.
1: Um I expect Damien Giselle to to keep putting out great work. And he's obviously still very young, so he will be here for a long time. And my prediction is uh no year this decade will top twenty sixteen. Really? We shall see. Wow,
0: that's a that's a lot. I do think um I think uh Adam Driver is gonna keep starring in some good films. I think. Uh, I think he might be one of the ones that we look back in a few years and think, "Wow, he's made quite a few really good movies." Um, I know he's already made a few, but like, I think he's gonna be someone that keeps making more. Um,
2: Timothy Chalamet, Saoirse Ronan, Florence Pugh, Robert Pattinson, all on the up. Robert Pattinson, right that's hundred percent. Um, yeah. You think I, Oscar Isaac? Oscar Isaac, I hope is still. He's in Paul Schrader's new movie next year, so I'm very excited for that. Um. I think oh, it might be twenty twenty one, but he's in it. Um I think Ari Aster said that he wants to move away from horror, so I'm very interested to see how that goes. Um yeah. I'm Obviously we'll 2020s. be getting
0: uh, a new no I'm thinking a of ending things. New no one film next uh next year. Uh which will be which will be fun. I don't know. I don't know what the twenty twenties hold, but I.
1: Yeah, like like Eric just said, I'm thinking of Ending Things. Kaufman has two movies that uh, he's written or, or co-written uh, coming out next year. I'm thinking of Ending Things he also directed and Chaos Walking, which has had a troubled way to the big screen, should be coming out 2020. So we'll be looking forward to that as well.
0: Let me ask the question. Do you think uh, 2020s are going to be marked by the same Marvel craze or do you think it's going to die out?
1: It's going to die out. Really? I wouldn't say
0: die out, but I, I'd a, say
1: the peak is has, that to, has to have been this decade, or else, wow, that,
2: yeah. who knows? Welcome to the decade of Disney remakes as they get bigger and bigger. Oh, man, God.
1: <laughs> Perhaps the century of Disney remakes.
2: The beauty and the frozen.
0: <laughs> All right, well, with that, we hope you uh, enjoyed our 2010s appreciation. We hope uh, you appreciated. Uh, some films in the 2010s, like we did, and uh, if there are any notable ones that you feel, uh, feel free to kind of uh, email us or uh, comment, uh, just anything that you really liked, um, or we, find us on Letterbox. We talked a lot about a letterbox. letterbox. Hey guys, what are your Zach? You have a letterbox? I I do have a letterbox. Oh, what's in what's fact, what's your letterbox? Uh, my letterbox is uh, just Zachary Aid. Uh, Eric, do you have a letterbox?
2: Yes. E-R-Z-A 2018. So look for the squirrel. I think it's a squirrel.
0: It is a squirrel. It's a squirrel.
1: Myla, you can find me
0: at letterbox.com slash CB. CB. All right. Well, with that, uh, you know, it's been a great year, a great start to our podcasting. We're, you know, I think this is episode six, so we've done quite a few at this point, kind of gotten in a rhythm. Uh, Going to have much more to come in the 2020s, and uh, we're very excited to see where we can go. And we thank you guys for joining us. And... uh We'll see you in a decade.
2: As
1: always, have a blessed Eve.
2: Sam.